if worship is this good here, imagine what it'll be like in heaven one day. Amen. So today we are finishing James chapter 3, and we're coming to the end of an entire section that is focused on wisdom. And everything within this section was set up with a question that was found in verse 13. James asked, who among you is wise and understanding? It's a phrase that refers to people who have a knowledge of and they are skilled in the application of righteous living. And if somebody says, that describes me, or maybe that describes somebody that I know, James very quickly gives a command. He says, let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Very quickly, he outlines three distinct signs of somebody who is wise in understanding. That person will be marked by good behavior and good deeds, as well as an attitude of gentleness towards others. All of that set up our first big truth. When asserting wisdom, our claims are evaluated by our conduct. Our claims are evaluated by our conduct. So last week, we started in this process of discerning wisdom found in verses 14 through 18. All wisdom claims are not the same. The world claims to have wisdom and God claims to have wisdom. And the two are absolutely the opposite of each other. We find that both of those call people to follow them. Both forms of wisdom will promise great things. But the test of true wisdom is seen in the fruit of a godly life. In other words, what happens after somebody follows that advice? What results does it bring? Where does it lead? Who does it honor? And how does it produce God's best in that person's life? Now, one of the things that makes this process of discernment so difficult is there's a lot of worldly wisdom that has crept its way into the church. Worldly wisdom is often promoted by churches. It's espoused by Christian leaders. It is printed in Christian books. It is shared by Christian friends. And whenever we have a respect for that pastor or for that church or for that author or for that friend, we start to let our guard down. And what has been maybe a place of saying, I'm going to check it against the word, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where worldly wisdom now starts to sound normal. And if you add in a passage out of context, worldly wisdom will start to sound biblical. We have to be careful. That's one of the reasons why the big question for believers is how do we learn to recognize the source of wisdom before we follow the advice? So this discernment process is what led into our second big truth. When pursuing wisdom, our course is determined by our source. We need to determine, we need to see what is the source of that wisdom because origin is going to determine outcome. Worldly wisdom will produce worldly results. Godly wisdom will produce godly results. Now, for us to recognize the source, we went back and we actually compared worldly wisdom and godly wisdom out of 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. And we found in that section that it gave this beautiful breakdown of how wisdom even comes together. And that was so important. At its basic level, wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. The proper application of knowledge. The knowledge we accept becomes the basis for the wisdom we receive. 
So in a world that has rejected the knowledge of God, there is no basis for the wisdom of God. And this is extremely important because it's not that the knowledge of God has been hidden based on Romans chapter 1. The knowledge of God is evident to us and it is evident in us. So then we ask the question, what would make anyone want to continue to follow worldly wisdom? And I gave you all four of the main reasons. The first was availability. If you want to hear what the world thinks, it's available everywhere. It's not hard to find. The second was flexibility. Worldly wisdom allows people to hold on to their personal opinions and sometimes destructive lifestyles, other times sinful habits. You can hold on to those things and not feel guilty about it. The world will say, you do you, and there's no guilt, there's no condemnation, there's no conviction. It simply affirms even destructive ideas. It's flexible for everybody. There's also familiarity. Worldly wisdom is what we're used to hearing. It's just comfortable. When you're going through a trial, we want things that are comforting. And when it comes to God's wisdom, many times it's uncomfortable. God's wisdom will challenge us to do things that we would not normally want to do or care to do or, for that matter, we're comfortable in doing. God's wisdom will challenge us. And then the last of those was popularity. Worldly wisdom is the majority opinion. So sometimes instead of calling more attention to yourself or to your problem, it just seems easier to go with what everybody else is saying. But when you package it all together, worldly wisdom is motivated by bitter envy and selfish ambition, verse 14. It finds its origin in the three enemies of the Christian faith, the world, which is earthly, the flesh, which is natural, and the devil, which is demonic, found in verse number 15. The wisdom of the world is based on human achievement. It is fostered in the lives of the unredeemed, and it is produced by the father of lies. The result of worldly wisdom, according to verse 16, is a life of confusion and division and every evil thing. That's where we left off the last time. Today, we get to go to the positive side of the equation. Praise God, there is a positive side of the equation. Those who were here last week, you're praising God for a positive side of the equation. So we are going to be focused today on recognizing the characteristics of godly wisdom and evaluating the results that it brings. By the time today is done, I want each of us to have a finely tuned biblical wisdom filter. I want us to be able to hear statements and instantly be able to compare it between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom and say, this is of God, this is of the world. This is what I receive, this is what I reject. I, I'm praying that that is going to be the case. So I invite you to go with me in your Bibles if you're not already there. James chapter number 3. We're going to be in verses 17 and 18. I am speaking this morning on the topic of godly wisdom as you find your place in the text, let me tell you all very quickly about what we are stepping into this upcoming Sunday. We are starting a five-week message series, and the, the title of the series is It's Only God. For five weeks, you're going to see the stage, the feel, the service as a whole is going to be different. There's going to be a small video released this next week on social media. We encourage you to watch that because it's going to explain a little bit more. But here's the basics behind it. We're going to take away every distraction possible. We're going to simplify the stage. We're going to 
do the best we can to create an environment so that people can sit with the truths of God's word and they can sit in the presence of God and they can ask the God of this universe, speak clearly into our hearts. Please, please, please be with us for these five weeks. Invite somebody to come with you. I'm praying and our staff, our pastors are praying that it is going to be a game changer in the life of this church. All right? That being said, let's look at James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteous, righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide us into all truth. Lord, may you create this wisdom filter through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this last week when we were discussing worldly wisdom, we broke the entire topic down into three main sections. We talked about the motivation behind it. We talked about the origins of worldly wisdom. And we also talked about the results of worldly wisdom. Well, today we're going to break the section of godly wisdom down into two major sections. We're going to talk about the characteristics of godly wisdom, and we're also going to talk about the results of godly wisdom. The first is going to be found in verse 17. The second will be found in verse number 18. So let's get started, and let's get into the characteristics of godly wisdom. Let's, let me just say from the very beginning, before we get into the very first word, one of the best ways to recognize the source of wisdom is to look at its characteristics, not only in what it is, but also in those who follow it. You're looking not only at what it says, but also those who say, this is what I follow, this is what I do. You're going to look into their life. Both of those are going to be side by side all the way through. When people act on godly wisdom... It is not only what is right for the situation or right for the moment. It's also going to be what is right for their character development and their growth in Christ. So there are some specific characteristics that come along with godly wisdom. And here's the first of those. Godly wisdom is pure. It's pure. It's a word that means free of contamination or defilement. Just as much as God is holy and he is perfect and he is righteous, his wisdom matches his character. When God lives his life in and through us, when we are operating out of the overflow of that relationship with God, we're going to see that God's character, God's wisdom, God's purity is now being lived through the person who is allowing God to live through them. So what does that mean on a practical level? If you're, if you're trying to discern, is this of God, is it not of God? How, how does purity fit into this? Think of it like this. It means God's wisdom is going to lead to a pure life. His wisdom will lead to a righteous life. His wisdom will not be in conflict with his word. It means that with the wisdom of God, there you know, are no hidden motives. 
There's no fine print that we have to go back and check out. There is no skirting the edges of honesty when it comes to the wisdom of God. This is a type of wisdom that is transparent and it is clean and it is upfront. Purity also points to the spiritual integrity and the moral sincerity of the person who is searching after God. Did you know everyone does not want pure wisdom? Everyone does not want God's wisdom. In fact, we're going to see that you can recognize not only the the character of the, the wisdom itself, but you can recognize the person who is walking in godly wisdom based upon how they live. There is going to be a purity that comes to how they live their life. The second word that we find there is peaceable. True peace is always an outgrowth of purity. And there is a difference between true peace and manufactured peace. Manufactured peace is the illusion of peace that comes comes by trying to ignore sin or sweep problems under the rug. That is not peace. That is not even reality. That is covering up sin. But true peace is a blessing that is bestowed upon us by God when we are in right standing with him and when we are in agreement with his word. Listen to what Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 says. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. Remember, this is not just about the wisdom itself. It's also about the character of those who follow that advice. Scripture says there's no peace for the wicked. So start to immediately think, What am I hearing from people? What am I hearing from the world? What am I hearing from culture that there is no peace? It only creates division. It creates creates separation. It creates angst. It creates confusion. It creates war. It creates anarchy. Like, where do I see areas around me that it's not leading to peace? It's leading to the opposite side. Did you know that Scripture repeatedly connects peace, not only to God, but specifically to Christ. For example, Scripture speaks of the peace found in Christ, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. The peace that is Christ, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the peace that is only available to those who abide in Christ, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It's this simple. There is peace with God, And there is peace that comes with godly wisdom. Now compare that with what we already studied in verse 16 about worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, according to verse 16, the result is it brings disorder and every evil thing. In other words, you've got one wisdom that is going to bring peace, and you got one that's going to bring disorder. You got one that's going to allow you to be calm. You got another one that's going to bring about confusion. You got one peace that is coming from God that is going to lead to people coming together and loving each other and walking a righteous path. And you've got another type of wisdom over here that is going to put one person against the other. It's going to create division and it does not lead to righteousness. Like these two paths could not be more opposites. So the moment you begin to hear something, 
Let it go through this wisdom filter. Is it pure? Is it peaceable? Here's the next one. Is it gentle? The wisdom of God is gentle. It means equitable, fitting, moderate, forbearing, courteous, and considerate. Uh, this, this word is also translated meek, found over in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a word that Jesus used of himself. He said that he is one who is gentle and humble in heart. It's the same word that is being used. The apostle Paul instructed Titus to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing humility to all men. Titus chapter 3 verse 2. He gives a very similar piece of advice to Timothy. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. A gentle person is humbly patient. Do you know a gentle person can be wronged? They can be slandered. They can be hurt. They can be abused. They can be completely persecuted. And they will respond with what Matthew Arnold called a sweet reasonableness. If you want a great picture of that, think of Jesus going up to the cross. He is mocked. He is spit upon. He is whipped. He is beaten. He is crucified. And think of that. It is the creator of this universe who is being abused by his creation. And yet there is a gentleness about him. Even when he looks out and he's already warned Peter about the fact, you're going to deny me three different times. And, and Peter's like, no, it's never going to happen. And even in that moment when he catches the eyes of his Lord, there is a gentleness. There's not a condemning. There's a gentleness that is about him. That is a gentleness that only flows out of the Holy Spirit abiding in us. You see in that moment that he did not compromise the truth. He did not dishonor the Father, and he didn't run from what needed to be done in the moment. But there was gentleness in how he responded. The next word is reasonable. I really liked this word before I found out what the word actually meant. And, and the reason is I'm, I'm a logical person, and when something is reasonable, I'm like, that just makes me happy. And then I found out what this word actually means, and it means willing to yield and I was like, hmm, I'm a little bit bullheaded at times. I, I don't know if I like that word quite as much as I like the idea of just something being reasonable. But this describes how a person who is receiving godly wisdom is willing to yield to the wisdom that comes from God. They're not disputing the wisdom. They're teachable. They're compliant. They're not being stubborn. Now, did you know this phrase is only found in this one place in your entire New Testament? So why it is very, very rare within Scripture itself, the phrase was very common in military terms. It meant to be willing to take instructions. That's godly wisdom. Willing to take instruction. Willing to yield. Willing to say, God, I want your way more than I want my preference. That, that's wisdom. 
Those who receive godly wisdom are recognized by a willingness to yield to that wisdom. And by the way, the longer and the more often we yield to the wisdom of God, the more reasonable we become. I don't know if you've noticed it, but when you've talked with someone, spent some time with someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, it's not that they don't have deep, deep conviction. It's not that they don't want to stand for truth, but there's a calmness about them. There is a, just a, a willingness to listen. There, there's a willingness to sit. There's, there's this beautiful quality that is there. According to what we find in Scripture, God's wisdom makes a person more agreeable, makes them easier to live with, makes them easier to work with. They, they can listen without being disagreeable. They can respond without being mean-spirited. Worldly wisdom just, does just the opposite. It makes a person hard and stubborn. And I don't know if you remember it or not, but when we started this section on wisdom, we found that the wisdom of the world is wisdom that makes a person not love people and not care about what happens to them. This is just the opposite of that. Here's the next one. The characteristic of godly wisdom, it's full of mercy and good fruits. This is a powerful truth to remind us that either wisdom or foolishness is going to be demonstrated in our behavior. The Bible stresses the importance of good works displaying Christ's work inside of us. We see that in 2 Corinthians 9, Colossians 1, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Like all throughout Scripture, there is this connection between the fact that what God has done inside of us should be displayed outside. It should be displayed in our actions and in our behavior. In fact, He's already covered that in verse number 13. Remember, for the person who says, I'm wise and understanding, he immediately comes back and says, let it be shown by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. In other words, there needs to be an outward manifestation of the work of Christ on the inside. Now, we're Baptists, or at least most of us are Baptists, or if you did not know, you're in a Baptist church. You were in a Baptist church this morning. Okay, unfortunately... Baptists have often downplayed the importance of good works in order to be doctrinally clear about what's necessary for salvation. And that is, we're very quick to say salvation is by grace, through faith. It is not about your works. And sometimes we camp out on it's not about your works so long it makes people think good works are not that important. And that is not the case. The good works will flow out of being rightly related to Christ. And that's actually a huge part of why James is writing the letter to begin with. If you remember back over in chapter 2, verse 20, he said, faith without works is dead. In other words, if somebody says, I've got faith, I believe, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet there's no action that comes out of that. There's no work that comes out of that. He was like, that's dead faith. That, that's not what this text is referring to. So the next part of that is notice what this thing says. It is that godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. In any time you see the, the phrase full of, did you know that is describing someone who is controlled by? Full of equals controlled by. So full of the Spirit 
controlled by the Spirit. This text says, be full of mercy. What, what does it mean, this person is full of mercy? It means they are following, they're being controlled by the wisdom of God. So let that just sink in for a moment. If you internalize that statement, it's a showstopper. So ask yourself this question. Does full of mercy describe me? When your friends or your coworkers or acquaintances, when they talk about you, would the word merciful ever even come into the equation? For those who have wronged you in some way in the past, would they say, I, I can't take that back, but man, they showed mercy. They were gracious. They were loving to me. Or would their statement be, you don't ever want to wrong that person because they will hold a grudge till Jesus comes. Does the word mercy describe us? Because he's saying this person is full of mercy, controlled by mercy, operating out of mercy. The second part of that pertains to good fruits. They're also full of good fruits. People who are walking in godly wisdom, their life is fruitful. God's wisdom makes their life full. It doesn't make their life empty. If somebody says, well, what does that look like? What, what does it mean to have a life that is full of good fruits? Just go to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, for a moment. Is the person's life full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, temperance? Are those pieces just flowing out of that person's life? If they are, he's saying this is a sign of somebody who's walking in godly wisdom. Now, the other side of that is also true. If those are not flowing out of our life, somehow we have listened to and we're following many times the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God. Here's the next part, unwavering. This is a word that describes someone who is not parted or divided. Okay, that doesn't sound that important. But I'm going to tell you, this one piece could be one of the biggest issues of discipleship facing the local church. So let me explain it like this. Believers have bought into the lie that your life can be compartmentalized between this is my work life, this is my spiritual life, this is my family life, this is my financial life, these are my hobbies. And each of those can be lived according to a different standard. That is a lie. According to someone, according to scripture, someone who is following godly wisdom, their life is not compartmentalized. Their life is not divided. Their life is not broken down into parts. Just, just think about it for just a moment between a person's work life, because that's probably one of the most apparent ones, and their spiritual life. If a person tries to compartmentalize those two things, then sometimes the person who shows up at church on Sunday does not look anything like the person who shows up at work. The one at church, hands up, Lord is good. The one that shows up at work can be cutthroat, can be deceiving, can skirt the edges of what is honest, 
can cheat bosses and others out of time, can steal, can not do their job on time and do it well. And sometimes it's like, that's just my work life. No, it's not. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit didn't come in and take over one room in your life. He took over your life. And according to Scripture, Scripture tells us when Christ, who is our life, in other words, it's not even our life anymore, it's Christ's life. The Spirit of God took over the whole thing. So if you're walking in godly wisdom, it's no longer my work life and my financial life and my spiritual life and my family life. It is my life in Christ, and it's all His. That's what godly wisdom will lead to. If you don't follow godly wisdom, you become subdivided where each part of your life is now answering to a different standard. Here's the last part. It is without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is is a word that comes from the world of drama, the world of theater. In New Testament times, it was a person who played a part on a stage, and they would use a mask in order to play that particular part. They were called a hypocrite. Well, the term gradually became used and associated with those who are also playing a part off stage as well. So today, a hypocrite would be referred to someone who is just not truly representing themselves. So how does this phrase, without hypocrisy, how does that describe godly wisdom? And how does it describe people who walk in godly wisdom? Think of it like this. The wisdom of this world brings a lot of insincerity and pretense. It's all about the appearance of wisdom, the appearance of control, the appearance of being right, the appearance of being successful. But the wisdom of God is not concerned with appearance. The wisdom of God has substance. The wisdom of God in time will be shown to be right and true and what is needed. So the wisdom of God is open. It is honest. What you see is what you get, and what you get is true, and it is right. That's how this is without hypocrisy. Here's the final part, verse number 18. This is actually one of the hardest passages in your New Testament to translate. A literal interpretation of this would be, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so here's my question. How do you sow fruit? I like to think I'm a farmer, but I'm really not a farmer. I think you need more than like four flowers and a couple tomato plants to qualify as being a farmer. But even though I'm not an official farmer, I know enough about farming to know You sow seed. You don't sow fruit. So this is saying that those who are walking in wisdom, it says that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what does that mean? Warren Wearsby gives a great explanation. He said that there is a vast difference between man-made results and God-given fruit. Fruit is... It's the product of life, and fruit has in it the seeds for more fruit. Usually, it is the seed that is sown, but here it is the fruit that is sown. As we share the fruit of God with others, they are fed and satisfied, and they, in turn, can bear more fruit. That's interesting. He's 
He's saying the wisdom of God is so powerful, it is so practical, it is so perfect that it not only ministers to the needs of the person in the moment, but it has within it the ability to continue to minister to their needs in the days to come. That's incredible. Now, based on what we found about worldly wisdom in verse number 16, it brings a harvest of disorder in every evil thing. And now verse 18 tells us that godly wisdom, it brings a harvest of righteous fruit that is sown in peace. Maybe you've heard this phrase. Jesus was pretty good in sharing it. Uh, You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. When we sow righteous living, when we sow godly wisdom, we're going to reap the peace that comes from God. When we sow the world's wisdom, when we sow to the seed of foolishness, we're going to reap every evil thing. Remember where this entire conversation came back to. We gave two of these major statements that walk us through this entire section. The first is when asserting wisdom, our claims are evaluated by our conduct. But the second one was when pursuing Uh, Wisdom, our course is determined by our source. We have to identify the source because whatever that source is, it's going to determine what happens over your life. And when we have sown into and believed and operated on the world's wisdom, it's going to bring about worldly results. When we have sown, when we have operated in, when we have adhered to godly wisdom, it's going to produce godly results. You reap what you sow. That's what this text is leading back to. So think about our wisdom filter as we close. The moment you hear something, the moment somebody says, I think I know what you need to do, the moment you read something in a Christian book or you hear something in a message, And by the way, I am totally okay with if there's something you hear in a message at Sherwood, if we cannot back it up in the word, you need to come and talk to us about it. Ultimately, this is our authority. This is what the standard is. So the moment you hear something, begin to process it through that filter. Is it pure, peaceable, gentle? reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits? Is it unwavering? Is it without hypocrisy? In other words, is it biblical? When when you hear the advice of someone, whether it's on a talk show, whether or not it is a pastor somewhere, whether or not it's just a good friend, ask the question, what does their life look like? Because when the person has followed that advice, their life will reflect the same characteristics. So when a person comes and they give you advice, and yet you look and you're like, but your life is a mess. When they tell you about how to operate in your marriage, and they're like, their marriage is hurting. When they tell you about how to overcome addiction, and yet there's addiction in their life, like they tell you about here's how you find peace, and you're like, 
you're the last person I've ever recognized who has peace. Like, there should be a connection between how a person lives and the advice they're giving. My childhood pastor used to say it like this. If they have corn in their crib, let them tell you how to grow corn. In other words, if they got fruit in their life, let them tell you how that fruit comes. If not, that alone should be reason, stop, and we're going to wait right there. Wisdom. Every single one of us needs it. We not only need it personally, we need it in our marriage. We need it for our kids. We need it for our grandkids. And here's the reason this, to me, is so important. It not only impacts you, but when others come to you, and many people within the church are magnets for hurting people. It's like they are the stable one in that circle of relationships. And whenever there's a problem, they go to that stable one. And when they come to you and ask, what do you do? We need to be able to direct them back to the word. We need to be able to say, here's the godly way of doing it, and here's the world's way. And you can determine the two by their characteristics. You can determine the two by their results. You can determine the two by those who have followed each of those paths. It's not only about our life. It's also about what we're sharing with others. Every bit of what I'm describing right here flows out of a person who is first rightly related to God through Jesus Christ. Until that relationship is in place, none of the rest of this is going to fully make sense. It has to be the Spirit of God who is indwelling the person to bring the change to illuminate the mind in order to operate according to what the Word of God is saying. So as we close, let me ask you first, do you know you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Do you know that there is a time in your life that you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus. If that peace is not yet secure, these other pieces are not going to make sense. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for just a moment. As this service is coming to a close, I, I simply want to pray for people right now who who maybe you're at a crossroads in your life, you've been praying for wisdom, you're, you're dealing with hardship at work, issues and relationships, uh, personal struggles, and you're trying to find what is God's way. I, I want to pray for those people right now. I also want to open this time up for people who are saying, I need help in this. Uh, more, than, more than just having prayer for from a pulpit, I need to talk to someone. We want to have some of our pastors and pastor's wives at the front. We're going to have some counselors who will be at the front. Like if you want to talk to someone, we want to be able to connect with you this morning. So we're going to have a word of prayer over those who are walking through difficult times seeking God's wisdom. Let's first start there in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, at this moment that you would give unbelievable clarity to those who they're searching for what is your way, your wisdom, your will, and their mind is confused right now. Lord, I pray that as we lay out the pieces side by side, that it would just bring greater and greater clarity to what the next step needs to be. Lord, I pray that 
this is a part of what it looks like to be in biblical community, that we're walking together with other believers in difficult moments and in good times. But together, we're, we're not sharing the wisdom of the world. We're sharing wisdom that truly comes from you. Lord, may that be the case. God, we're asking for, right now, people who maybe they've stepped off the path of, of your wisdom and they've stepped onto the world's, that, Lord, would you, would, you would show them what the right steps are in order to repent, to turn, and to step into the flow and the movement of your activity. God, we need you to do that. So, Lord, as we close out this service, we're praying that you would have your will in this place that you would work in independent hearts and that collectively, God, as a church, we would walk in deeper depths of your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, stand. We're going to sing one final song. The altar is open. I just encourage you, respond as the Spirit of God prompts you.